All right, this morning we are in the book of 2 John. We finished Philemon last week. We spent three weeks with Philemon. We're only going to spend one week with 2 John. Um, That's not because it's not as important a book. It's just um, we don't need the same type of background for it. And I think we can cover what I want to cover out of it in in, uh, one, one week. Um, yeah, it is actually half the size of Philemon, and it's about the same length as Third John. I don't know which one's longer. I think Third John is a little bit shorter, um, just a little bit. Um, it's really just one paragraph. It's a greeting, a paragraph, and a conclusion. Um, and to be honest with you, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the series, what does Second John talk about? My answer would have been, I don't know. Anybody know what's the point of Second John? Okay, Matt, but did you just read it now, Matt? No, that's not fair. That's <laughs> cheating. That's cheating. Um, oh, better set that a little harder. There we go. Now we're going to have to, okay. Uh, yes, it, it's a warning against false teaching. Um, it is the primary message of the book, but actually that's not the only thing. In fact, well, that's the main thing, but you have to dig that out just a little bit to really get to it. Um, Just a second, I have some in my contact, which doesn't often happen right when I'm teaching, but okay, there we go. I think we got chairs back up here, but um, anyways, I was a little bit uh, concerned about Second John teaching it just because I didn't know much about it. But as I studied it, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And this book has had an impact. And I think it does have an impact for us because it holds up the truth and holds up the concept of love and obedience. In fact, in some ways, it's the book of First John in one paragraph. Okay, And you'll see that as we read through it. First uh, John being written much the same much the same way. Um, John Piper, many of you know that name, a great preacher of our era, um, taught 33 years at at, uh, Bethlehem Church, I believe in Pennsylvania. And when he stepped down from his preaching role, he handed the church over. That just happened this year. His farewell sermon, or he did a series of farewell sermons, one of them was out of 2 John, which I thought was interesting pulled 2 John out, and that was what he taught on, to tell them, and he said the reason is because it deals with truth and error. And we are living in a time where we are particularly (coughs) susceptible to error because we no longer put a high value on truth. Now, when I say that, I don't mean you particularly. I mean the culture that we live in. Uh, Some of you may have seen this this week, but there was a video that was put out It was a guy going on to college campuses, or a college campus. Um, Doesn't sound like it's important, but he's a five foot nine inch white guy. How many saw that video? A Couple of you. Very interesting, he goes onto the campus and he starts interviewing college students. And he first asked them, um, what do you think about transgender bathroom laws? Should transgender people be able to use a bathroom if simply by claiming to be you know, the other sex. And they all were like, yeah, sure, that's, you know, that, that's what truth is for them or that's what they believe and that's what it should be. We have no right to tell them otherwise. 
So then he says, well, what if I told you I was a woman? And they all kind of were like, that's fine if you want to be that. Um, most of them just said, pleased to meet you or this is great. And he goes, okay, what if I told you I was Asian? <clears throat> and a couple of them kind of backed off, but they all said, you know, if you want to be Asian, that's fine. You can be Asian. <laughs> he said, so you would accept me as being an Asian person? Yes, we would accept you as being an Asian person. He said, what if I said that I was seven years old? And a couple of them just kind of backed off a little bit, but then they said, you know what? As long as it's not hurting anybody, you can be seven years old. He said, well, what if I want to go back and retake second grade? It's like, well, if they let you, that's fine. So, well, what if I demand it? Well, I, I, anyways, he's put, then he finally says, he, he says, what if, what if I told you I was six foot five inches tall? And except for one gal, one gal starts to say, well, yeah, but you're not. And immediately you could see her mind now switching gears, like, wait a minute, but you're not a woman and you're not Asian and you're not seven years old. But she backs off of it. She's like, you know what? It doesn't hurt me. You can be six foot five inches tall if you want. At the end of the video, he's, he, he comes on, he talks, he goes, you know, there's something wrong. This, by the way, is not a Christian man doing this, as far as I know. Could be, but it wasn't from a Christian perspective necessarily. He said, it shouldn't be hard to tell a five foot nine inch man that he is not a six foot five inch Asian woman who's seven years old. But it is in, in the society that we live. And those of you saying, yeah, but we're safe here. That influences the church. Um, if you go and now have a discussion with many Christians about gay marriage, the attitudes even among Christians are changing. It's just gay marriage. What difference does it make? Now, we're not talking about gay marriage. We're not talking about same-sex bathroom. Multi, we're not, none of that. The point is when truth is under attack, when society says the truth doesn't matter, that will influence us to the point where you just have a live and let live attitude. And actually, that was what got sensed in the video more than anything. It was live and let live. You, you want to think you're six foot five inch? That's fine. Um, that, that's fine. You can think whatever you want. Well, we can't in the church, right? We have a standard of truth and we hold to the truth. And that's what second John talks about. And that was what John Piper said. He said, I don't think there's a more timely book than this one, the importance of the truth. So let's go ahead and read it. It's short. Um, and then we'll, we'll take, take it and work through the, the main part of it. it. Says the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ, Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so their joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Um, first things first, um, everybody uh, traditionally, historically, it's been accepted that this book was written by John, the apostle. John, at the end of his life, which is when this book would have been written, not when he was on the Isle of Patmos, but um, when he, before he was exiled, he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, um, in Ephesus. Um, and they believe this is the one who's writing the book. And it, it uh, clicks. If you were reading that and you've just recently read through the book of John or 1 John, you would have heard a lot of the same things. If you think of the book of John, a big emphasis on truth, big emphasis on love and an emphasis, especially when you get to John 14 and further on obeying the commands, uh, truth, love, and obedience. Um, read 1 John and 1 John deals with those same three, three themes along with deception and the, the, the danger of, of antichrists coming. Um, that's why I say, if you read through this, it's very similar to the book of 1 John in a lot of ways. Um, so this is John writing. Now the question is, who is the elect lady? Um, there are two viewpoints. Let me just throw them out there and then we'll move on. One is that this is another church, all right? Um, this is a church, um, not Ephesus, but some other church. Hold on, my contact is iffy this today. Um, okay, I think we're, uh, let me. Now I have to turn around to do this next part. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's an eye doctor in here, they don't like that. Um, all right. Okay. Um, anyways, the church may be, this may be being written to another church. This is code for another church. And the children then would be the members of the church. And then at the end, when it says the children of your elect sister greet you, that would be the church that he's writing from. Um, that's actually kind of the consensus opinion. Uh, John MacArthur does not like that, uh, just so you know. John MacArthur thinks that this is, there's no indication this is symbolic language, that this is a letter to a person, to a woman that is not named, and, and to her children, and that the sister is truly her sister and this is her cousin or her nieces and nephews. Um, and I don't care. So you guys decide what you want or do research on it, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it could be either. Uh, the point doesn't change, whatever you decide on that really doesn't change how you view the rest of the book. All right, Matt. Okay, yeah, it's warm in here, isn't it? Um, I wonder if, does anybody know how to work that thing up there? We could open this door, but then it gets cold over here. Oh, Marty's right there. Oh, okay. Okay, so let me jump into the book because I'm more interested in the other part of this. 
That first paragraph lays out the two important themes in the book, uh, truth and love. It says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only all I, but all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So let me do this. He says, basically the apostle says, I love um, the lady, whoever she is, in truth. By the way, we use truth five times in the first four verses. Um, and not only I, but all who know the truth. So all love the lady who are in the truth. And then there's one other mention of truth there. And he gives the reason, because of the truth that abides in us. Oops, that pen's going. Okay, now, that's an interesting introduction, and it would be easy just to s skip over this, but I think this gives a framework for understanding the book. He's telling uh, us that he truly loves this lady. I think that's what this mention of the word truth is in truth, uh, truly I love this woman, okay? Um, we're talking agape love here. But all love this lady who are in the truth. Now that's a little different. What does it mean to be in the truth? Was that? Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. to be part of the church, to be in Christ. To be in the truth is to be in, in Christ. So this is all who claim to be believers, all who are believers, not claim to be. And then it tells us why we love her, because of the truth that abides in us. Because of that, okay? Now, I have to admit, I read that and I worked on that for a long time. I, and I don't know if I have it right, but here's what I think is happening. This whole book is going to be addressed to a church community, I believe, which is why I kind of lean toward this actually being written to a church. But it, 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 that's not really important. He could be addressing her the same way. Um, there is a special bond between believers. We love everybody, right? We're to love our enemies, and we're to love those who despitefully use us, and we're to love strangers but we are specially to love each other. We are to love those who are in the truth. And the reason we love them is because of the truth that is in us. Um, what does Jesus say? What does it say in John? See, this is where the book of John comes in. Let me just read off a few things. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me, to just quickly go through some verses in John. Um, in John, you don't have to turn to these. John 1.14, it tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Um, in 1.17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, in John 4.24, 4, 
God is spirit. We just studied that in church. And he who worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, Jesus says in, in uh, 8.32, uh, the truth will set you free. And in 8.44, he says, Satan speaks lies, but I speak the truth. But then in John 14.6, we all know it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Jesus is the truth. Okay, Jesus is the truth, he dwells within us. And of course, Jesus and his word, his word is truth. These are people who are abiding um, in the truth. The truth is in them, they are in Christ. And because they are in Christ, there's a special bond between us. Um, this is gonna play in as you go through. Let me just jump a little bit ahead. He says in verse four, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Um, these are ones who have held fast to the faith. Um, now it says some, we don't know if there were some that didn't or if all did, uh, but that's an interesting, interesting verse. I, I don't know if, um, well, I'm sure it's the same. Um, when, when somebody is walking in the truth, that causes, should cause you as a believer your heart to rejoice we kind of take it for granted with the people in this room but if you've known somebody who's wandered away from the truth that should cause there to be a special sort of hurt right but somebody who is walking in the truth causes us to be joyful and that's actually an important thing as we go through the book i've known friends of course you have too um, a lot of times the friends you kind of hang out with in high school and who are seem very committed and then they go off and they they wander away from the truth um, I spent a lot of time when we were first in Reedley with the men we had a Bible study every once a week um, in the morning and then he got swept away in that um, Gwen Shamblin's cult the way down workshop which became um, the remnant and he actually ended up denying that Jesus Christ was God, which is the definition of error. And it, it still kind of hurts me, you know? Uh, the other day I was in, in uh, Save Mart, I was telling April, I was in Save Mart, and a gal came up uh, who was uh, graduated four years ago. Uh, for you, those of you who don't know, I'm at a Christian school, well, different Christian school, but I was there. So uh, this is one where I, um, I'll be honest, I. If, if I, you would have asked me at graduation, is this gal gonna do okay spiritually? Uh, she would have been one that I probably would have said, no, this one's gonna struggle. She looks like she's on track. Now we only had two minutes to talk, okay? But it was just from the conversation, I, it was like, I think she's, she's following Christ. And it was caused great rejoicing, okay? Um, I think what he's doing is it's establishing this, and you're gonna hear this in the pronouns in the book that we're dealing here with people um, who are working together and the truth is gonna be very, very, very important to us, okay? Um, you see that in the pronouns, like I said, look at verse two, because of the, the truth that abides in us, not in you, the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And then look at verse three, Grace, mercy, and peace be with who? Us. What, that, that, doesn't that sound a little odd to you? 
isn't it grace, usually grace, mercy, and peace be with you? This is a greeting to another people. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us. Um, so I think when John Piper gave this, he's thinking this is a church, we're, we're all together, and the truth is critical to who we are. Take the truth away, and what are we? We're just a social club, right? Take the truth away, and what's worse is we have no more relationship with our Father. I mean, that's not the worst thing, it's to have a social club. But the fellowship that we have falls apart, okay? Now, hold on to that. So I think that's, that's a key. I don't think that introduction is just to her, that's to us as well. Verse four, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as you, you were commanded by the Father. Now we're gonna see a new word that's gonna pop up, the word commanded. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. All right, now he gets to his instructions. Um, and, and these three words run all the way through the text, the word truth, the word love, and the word commandments. Now, actually, they aren't the same words, but these ideas run all the way through. Um, there's the word truth and there's the word teaching. There's the word commandment and then there's the word abiding or walking. And they, that, those three all mean the same thing, to walk, to abide, to keep the commandments the truth and teaching, teaching would be of the truth and love, these three words. So what is his instruction to her? Um, he wants us to love one another. And he wants us to do that by keeping the commandments. Actually, he specifies keep the commandment. So the way that we love one another is that we keep the commandments. Very good, Matt. What's the commandment that we're given? To love one another. That seemed kind of circular to you. <laughs> okay. Um, love one another by keeping the commandments. Keep the commandments by loving one another. Um, this actually, though, um, when we think of commandments, we think of all the other rules and regulations, right? But didn't we just go through the Ten Commandments? What's the key to the Ten Commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength for the first part, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says the entire law can be summarized in this, that you love one another, okay? Now, Jesus extends that, right? Jesus says... A new commandment I give to you. And then what's the new commandment? Love one another. Okay, how is that a new commandment? Well, I left off the last part of the verse. <coughs> a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. We have never seen it practiced before until we see uh, Jesus put it into practice and see the way that he loves us. It's not that the commandment is new, it has a new 
uh, interpretation and, or, or a new understanding than it did before. Okay, so we're to love one another by keeping the commandments or keep the commandments like loving one another. And I, I looked at this and it's always kind of interesting, but it's, I, I'm asking myself the questions we're going through this book. Okay, so what does truth have to do with this? And the answer is everything, because I think the truth sits right here. Okay, um, you know what the most unloving thing that I could do to this body would be? to fall into error and begin teaching false doctrine and to move out of the faith. And what you could do that would be devastating to the people who love you is to fall into error. I think truth sits right at the center here. If you fall into error um, so that you put error here, Go back to that first paragraph. You no longer are loving your brothers and sisters in truth. You are no longer in the truth. And there's a fracture of relationship that has to happen. Now, many of you have family that aren't believers. In fact, I'm sure all of us do. That would be odd that you could manage to have nobody out there who's not a believer, but maybe you're lucky that way. Now, you're still gonna love that person. But there's a division there. There's something that's wrong. There's a lack of joy in that relationship. You have severed something that's very, very important. So this error keeps us from loving one another. And to be honest, the error over here keeps us from keeping the commandments. You say, well, how is that? Well, again, if you go to John, 1 John and John, anybody who has the father has the son. You cannot keep God's commandments truly unless you have a relationship with Christ. So this uh, truth is what binds these two together. Error snaps it. You want to damage uh, the love relationship that we have for each other, fall into error. Um, which means that the most loving thing that we can do is to hold fast to the truth. Not just you, but you and me and everybody. And if we see somebody wandering into the truth, we need to be active and deal with them. Um, the role of the elders, of course, is to oversee the church. And one of the important functions is to ask, is there any error in anything that we're, in anything that we're doing? Um, it was interesting, I was talking with that situation I mentioned early on. Um, and uh, the, the, the church where this couple was, they invited that way, it was called Way Down Workshop. Many of you will remember that. It's the perfect cult for America. Come to Jesus and get thin. And if you're not thin, you're not coming to, it, it basically it turned this upside down. It was keeping the commandments was being thin and being thin or was keeping the commandments, which is really interesting. But um, the church that it was at was approached by somebody who had read through their doctrine and said, there's error in here. And we should not have them in our church. And it's like, that's okay. It's doing the ladies a lot of good. Okay. Do you understand how dangerous that was? You lost some of your flock because there was some good mixed in with it? No, 
if there's error, we avoid it. We, we shun it and we push it out. And it's not an unloving thing to do, although it may seem unloving, right? Um, and that brings us to the end of this passage. And we'll talk about error. I want you to think before we're ending, what are we going to define as, as, as error? What's truth? Um, because you could come away from here and say, well, I have my understanding. If you don't agree with me completely, and we could then form um, out of this group, you know, 90 little churches. No, we have to function together. That starts at the beginning. There's a fellowship. And so we have to agree on some things that are the truth. And John helps us with that. And Paul helps us with that. Jesus helps us with that. But I want you to look at the end here. And I know we're skipping over parts of this. Um, he now talks about how we are to treat people who come in error. So in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Okay, you, you want to know error? That's one of the first ways. At this time, there were people who were coming. They were Gnostics. They said the flesh was sinful. There's no way that Christ could actually have come in the flesh, um, that he was actually a spirit being, and it wasn't really flesh, and he didn't really die on the cross, and they go through all of that stuff. That was Gnosticism. Um, such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, when we think Antichrist, you think last days, and you should if you just back up a couple of verses to 1 John. Um, uh, let me get it here. 1 John chapter 3 or 4. I have to look on my list and see where that is. Um, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, not con they would have continued with us. But they went out. That is, that it might be plain that they are not of you. And then if you go down to verse 22, who is the liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Uh, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you, that you too abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. Deny Jesus Christ and you are an Antichrist or you're following Antichrist. Teach that and you're equated with the Antichrist. It says the last hour, we say, well, that happened 2,000 years ago. Peter helps explain that to us, right? With God, one day is as a thousand years. It's been two days since Christ left. Um, it's, we're, we're close to the end when you start to see error. And our culture is promoting error um, and it promoting an acceptance of error. All right, so he says, back to this, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who confess, this is verse seven, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what, here's that pronoun again, what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. 
Paul talks about this, those who go astray and go shipwrecked and, and lose the reward. He had a personal experience, experience with Demas, who was mentioned in Philemon, who loved this present world and left the faith. Um, watch yourself. We're to be watching ourselves, but then he says that we, this is a community effort. You're watching after me, I'm watching after you, the elders are watching over the church, and all of us are concerned with error. Um, verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If any, and this is probably the only verse people know out of 1 John, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever gains, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked words. Now, this, I think, is an interesting way to end this little study on truth and error. Um, remember at the beginning, we said that we're supposed to love everybody, right? We have special love for the brethren. We protect each other. The truth is at the center of our fellowship. Now we have to deal with somebody who comes teaching falsehood. This is very specific. This is someone who is an antichrist who's teaching error. How do we treat that person? Okay. Well, we refuse them hospitality. Right? You refuse them hospitality. Um, hospitality, to the uh, Jewish mind anyways, was the highest virtue. Um, welcoming strangers, welcoming um, uh, people, your friends, but even strangers was very important. You see it all the way through the Old Testament. They had to be careful of the strangers who were in the land. You had to welcome strangers. Hebrews talks about that. Don't forget to entertain strangers because by doing so you may have entertained angels, unawares. Um, hospitality was the way that you demonstrated your love to the people around you, was by bringing them in and being hospitable. Um, so it's interesting, what is Paul, uh, Paul, what is John saying? Don't do this for strangers. Okay, that's pretty brutal. Somebody comes to your door, not for strangers, for those involved in error. Somebody comes to your door and you push them away. Um, and the question is, well, is that then being unloving toward them? Are we being told not to be loving toward them? And <clears throat> I think the answer here is that we are to be loving toward all people. But the most loving thing that you can do for a person who is in error is to confront them. And somebody who is teaching error needs to understand that they are not a part of, this, of, of, of the, um, the church. In other words, they have to be confronted head on. You are not welcome here. We love you enough to tell you that if you keep teaching what you're teaching, you are going to hell. Right? Um, I had an interesting discussion with, um, about Jesus and the Pharisees. Somebody was saying, you know, Jesus is so loving, <coughs> excuse me, so loving, except when it comes to the Pharisees, right? He gets whips, drives them out of the temple. He tells them, you brood of vipers. I mean, Jesus is pretty vicious toward the toward the Pharisees, right? Does Jesus not love the Pharisees? Think hard. <laughs> <coughs>
doesn't Jesus come and love his neighbor perfectly? And isn't the Pharisee his neighbor, according to the parable? You know what you're seeing Jesus doing when he treats the Pharisees so harshly? He's loving them. He's loving them perfectly. What do they need more than anything else? It's for them to be broken out of their pride and humble themselves before God. And the only way that apparently that Jesus could do that was to let them know how wicked they were when they thought they were so righteous. In other words, there might be a time where loving somebody means slapping them in the face. Uh, not literally, okay? But, but, but doing something to get their attention so much that they actually step back and for a moment have a reflection which says, whoa, maybe I am prideful. Maybe I have fallen into that error that God hates pride and that's the same sin as, as Satan. When you have a false teacher coming, if he was welcomed in, you don't convey that message. Not only are you not protecting the flock, you are not acting loving toward him either. The right response to error is to confront it and to confront it hard, um, especially somebody who is teaching error. Now, <clears throat> let me just talk about this. They say, don't invite him in. There's an interesting cultural difference between then and now. And I wanna bring this up because a lot of times people will use this verse to not engage with, say, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, a lot of people will say, tell a Mormon, okay, you can stand on my front porch, but you may not come in my house because of this verse. Um, actually, the fact that you've greeted them already means there's a problem, right? Because it doesn't just say don't invite him in. It says he whoever greets him takes part in his evil deeds. Um, at this time, especially in the pagan cultures, um, inns were not places, uh, we think of an inn, we think of a nice little hotel, right? You go, you register, you have your own little room and you stay there. <clears throat> when Al Mohler came, I don't know where he stayed, but my guess is we put him up in a hotel and he probably wanted to be in a hotel, right? Because if you're at somebody's house, then there's demands on your time. So he probably wanted to be in a hotel. In this world, that's not what an inn was, a hotel. It was a place of ill repute. There was prostitution taking place, there was drinking. It was the source of dissipation. It's basically a bar with bedrooms in the back, okay? <clears throat> this is not a place where a, a preacher of the gospel wants to be seen. So when Paul came into town, they didn't put him up in the inn. He was welcomed into somebody's house. We saw that last week with Philemon. I'm coming to visit you, prepare a guest room. Preachers went from place to place and they were welcomed into people's houses. And Paul, Paul, John is saying, you don't welcome that person into his house. Let him go to the inn where he belongs. Let him go associate with who he really is because he is not in the faith. He doesn't have the father. He doesn't have the son. He doesn't have the truth. Now, the question is then for us, what does that mean when the JW and the Mormon come to your door? Um, I think the culture is so different that to be honest, I don't think bringing them in and sitting down and chatting with them is wrong. Um, I've done that myself many, uh, not many, several times where I've brought somebody in to sit and talk because the purpose is to try and get them to not see their error, right? But <coughs> they, Th that, I think that's a different situation, although it could be similar if you have small children in the house 
who might hear that error and be influenced by it perhaps, or maybe see mom and dad arguing in a way that doesn't make sense to them. So I think that's a matter of conscience, but I think if somebody invites people in, you shouldn't go, oh, First John says you can't do that. I think it's a different situation. I think the core of it is that we now have these two different sides. For us, we protect error amongst each other. We're careful of the truth, we speak the truth. If we see somebody not um, in the truth or heading off, we correct them and bring them back. Um, somebody from the outside who wants in is kept out at all costs, even to the point of it appearing unloving to that person, even to that point. Because they could say, well, those people, those Christians are not very hospitable. No, we're not. We don't welcome error. We do not ever welcome error. So with the couple, well, we don't have much time. Let, let's just talk here quickly about error. Because, well, actually, let's talk about truth. <clears throat> not all of us believe the same thing, but that doesn't mean that we're all in error. Actually, what I'd say is we're probably all in error <laughs> at some point, right? If you've got it perfectly figured out, that'd be great. But most of us probably have things that we're still working on. So what are the, what then are the basics? So we have to start determining what it is that we don't allow entering in. So John is very clear, right? Jesus is a Christ. He is a God. And he is both God and man. Jesus is uh, the Savior. And the minute you start denying any of the truths about Christ, you are denying the truth, all right? So that's John's focus. Um, anybody who comes and says that Jesus did not come in the flesh, anybody who says that Jesus is not God, uh, anybody who actually puts Jesus below God in any way, that he's not equal to Father, okay? Um, and then if we go to Paul, especially in the book of Galatians, and we don't have time to do that here today, but Galatians, Paul adds on the, the error of the uh, party of circumcision, which said that you add something to the faith. Uh, this is why we would say that there's the, the uh, solas, the five solas of the Reformation. But one of them is salvation by grace alone. Um, I don't think that's a minor point. A lot of error enters into the church when we say that salvation, and we have to add something to it. Salvation is by uh, grace alone. Uh, the minute you start adding something to salvation, something besides grace, then we move into a works-based religion and our salvation becomes part of our own effort. And I think that's a place where we draw the line as well, um, because Paul draws it there in Galatians. So if you read through Galatians, um, we don't have to agree on all sorts of other things. There are a lot of things we could disagree with and still maintain fellowship and be in the faith together. But once we move past a certain point, there, there's now confrontation needs to happen. Um, I would just say as we end, young people, you are going into a world that does not place any value on truth. Everything is subjective. You're gonna hear it in school, you're gonna hear it from your friends, you're gonna hear it in the media, you're gonna hear it everywhere. And it's dangerous 
this uh, warning here, watch yourselves so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward applies to you. Uh, parents and grandparents, we have our own battles with the truth, but talking about your children, you may assume your kids think exactly the way you do, but they live in a different world than you do. And you may want to talk with them and you may want to be careful to make assumptions. We had an eye-opening class discussion. I wasn't there over at Fresno Christian. It was about gay marriage. And the Bible teacher threw out something and the kids began arguing with him. It was very, very obvious that they did not share his view that gay marriage was wrong, at least half of the class. These are kids raised in Christian homes, going to a Christian school because the culture is so pervasive. Youth, you may think my children don't believe that way and my grandchildren don't believe that way, but you ought to talk with them to find out and then lovingly bring them back to the truth. And for ourselves, I don't think we're immune from this either. I, I think that we get so used to a live and let live attitude on almost anything that we find ourselves doing that with doctrine as well. Yeah, you differ from me, that's fine. Again, some level, a lot of room for moving around. We, I've seen it done where you take this stuff here. You've seen it too. You put that in the center. These would be the core truths. And then outside, these things in here, Christians can differ with. But you go out to this wider circle. If you're not in these two areas here, these two parts, if you're out here, you're outside of the faith. And, and we need to be careful when we're talking with other people, when we're evaluating ourselves, that we don't allow that attitude toward truth. Um, there's only one of two things that are gonna happen. We're either gonna stand for the truth or we're not. And everything in our culture points us toward not standing in the truth. Everything points that way. And yet, when you do that, we've broken fellowship, we no longer are able to love each other, we're no longer able to keep the commandments in the truest possible sense. So. Any comments before we end? See, it's a good book. Huh? Uh, it's, I mean, there's a lot in here, but um, we'll move on to Third John next week. I think some of the same themes will be revisited. So, Rodden. Every prison that we go to has different issues in it. Don and I ran a yard on Friday night where we have a great division in the churches. And there's probably several hundred believers in this yard. And there's a division between those who were Ar Arminian and those who were Calvinistic and Reformed. Mm -hmm. And there is deep, deep bitterness between those groups. Don and I have done our best trying to reconcile that and say, wait a minute, the core truth is what's the issue. But they take this to the exceeding level of even shunning believers because of yeah, well, and that would be where you've now risen to a level of pride, where, where I, what I believe is exactly what should be believed, and if you disagree with me, then, then you're outside of the faith. And that's why we have to be really careful with that second circle. The first circle, if you say Jesus is not Christ, then you're not a believer, and I, I state that. I may think you're in error over here, and we can discuss it, but we have to still maintain fellowship. And that would actually be a good thing. I know Pastor, I think Pastor David's taught on that before. You know, maybe that's a good one in, in the fundamentals of the faith class to talk about what those are. That's not really the point of this morning. So 
Any other comments before we end? Okay, let's go ahead and pray.